We can laugh about how much of that guy's dick you can see in the movie Ever After, and we can talk about how giving birth is labor. Welcome to All My Friends Are English Majors, the podcast where I, a business major, make my friends, all English majors, read popular fiction with me. This month was female-specific dystopia month, and I had my friend Lydia join in with me. Um, And this week is our comparison and contrast episode. So we did this last month. We're going to do it every month. Um... We are going to talk about all the books we read, talk about themes that went through all of them that we liked, that we didn't like, if we think there is merit to the genre, um, recommendations for the future, stuff like that. But first I'm going to say hi to Lydia. Hi, Lydia. Hi, Tucker. Are you having a good week? Um, I am having a good week. Um, I... Before we started recording, I had something pithy to say, and now my head is empty. Oh, no. I it's know. okay. We'll think of... I'll come up with other pithy things to say. I <laughs> I am having a good week, though. Um, I am experiencing a lot of physical maladies that are, like, too graphic to discuss on the pod. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm getting a massage today. I'm treating myself to oh, a let's massage. Go. Um, so it's going to be okay. I treated myself to a new pair of work shorts this week. I got them from REI. They haven't come yet. And they're a sleigh. And they're only $45. And guys, I have to wear five inch inseam shorts at work or else I will look too sexy. (laughs) So speaking of female dystopia, speaking of female dystopia, yeah. So I have to wear five inch inseam shorts at work. So I'm always on the hunt for them. One of my favorite pairs of shorts I wear at work is a four and a half inch in, inch inseam, but I haven't gotten in trouble yet, so that's exciting. Yeah, no one's um, come up to Tucker just with a fucking ruler and been like, and said spread them so they can measure the inside of the seam of my pants. You disgusting strumpet! Uh, oh my god, strumpet's a great word. Lydia. I love strumpet. I personally identify as a strumpet. Lydia, my mom was telling me about this guy in her writer's group, and he was so excited. It's the first book he's tried to write, and he was telling her all about it. And Lydia, it's just the plot of Ever After with Drew Barrymore. Honestly, I would read it. Me too! I would too! Holy shit! It's a great I love movie. Ever After by Drew Barrymore. Although, guys, Lydia and I rewatched Ever After the semester right before COVID. I think we watched it in, like, January or February of 2020. And both of us hadn't seen it in a couple of years. And that man's dick is out it's, in that movie. It's cock and balls, the whole movie. <laughs> and I'm not mad about it. The The pants are, like, truly kind of ridiculous. In Ever After, but, like, it's such a charming version of Cinderella, because I think so many times we get, like, a, like, a, you can only watch so many movies where there is a magical fairy godmother. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really like that it is, like, Leonardo da Vinci. 
who like <laughs> makes it happen for her to get to be Cinderella. That bangs. I that goes hard. That goes really hard. I um and I also love any version of like a story where it's like it's Cinderella but this Cinderella can read and she has ideas and opinions because I'm like I resonate with that I can also read <laughs> like that I love that I love that nonsense yeah I do love when they're like she can do something everyone else can do but it's special this time right right she's not like other girls she can read and write <laughs> And Melanie Linsky is in that movie from Yellow Jackets. She's in The Last of Us. Oh, yes. Love her. She was the original always going to be a stepsister or, like, not the main character of a movie. And I love that. Well, not really. I think she deserves main roles. But um, I do think that they serve, like, a very express purpose in Hollywood as people who exist. And you know what? They stay booked. They stay booked. And also, she, in her, like, I don't know if you would say that she's middle-aged. She's probably in her, like, 40s or something like that. But she has recently been, she has changed her career. She's really turned it around. She is now, instead of being, like, the sweet, like, sidekick, she is fully playing the main character psychopath. Like, all of her recent roles have, she's been, like, a serial killer. Okay, yeah. And that's a big pivot. (laughs) Someone was, um, like, insulting her on Twitter and basically being fatphobic and being like, you're in, like, a zombie show. Why do you look like you're, like, still getting three square meals a day? And she was like, bitch, I'm the political leader. She's she's eating good. Of course I'm eating. Yeah, yeah. Like, and also, like. She was like, step off my body, basically. Like, different body types exist even in the apocalypse. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it, like. I don't think that people understand the level of starvation you have to be at to, like, look like Anne Hathaway in Les Mis. Yeah, especially if you don't have a body type like that. Yeah. And, like, for, like, a show like The Last of Us, no one would want to watch it if every single character was, like, the amount of emaciated that you would be if you were truly, like, living in a starvation narrative. Yeah, and, like, it's true that... We don't really know that much about the food supply in The Last of Us. Like, we don't know that. We just don't know that much. Like, who's to say that they aren't eating? Like, do y'all think that people, like, in the Middle Ages, like, people have not always been emaciated. Otherwise, the the world would not have continued. Like, the human race would not have survived if people were so emaciated that they could barely function. Yeah, exactly. Like, people were hungry, and they didn't enjoy the food they ate a lot of the time. Right. But they kind of do the same thing in The Handmaid's Tale. Like, television, I think writers of television understand that they still have to... We just have to accept as an audience that, like, the major Maslow's hierarchy of needs needs are still being met. Like, like they have food. Sometimes they have shelter. And, like... You just have to accept that those things exist so you can watch the other problems happen without being like, well, she's hungry. Yeah, right. Like, if you're thinking about them being hungry the whole time, like, you're not thinking about the, like, 
emotional trauma they're going through that the writer is really trying to prove to you. Right. And like, people have complicated lives. Like people like people are experiencing complex issues and like, emotional like complex emotionally realities like even when they are not living in like a food surplus like like you like if you like sometime i don't know does that make sense like you can be sad and be hungry you can be sad and be hungry (laughs) there two things can happen at the same time actually frequently if you sad if you are sad you are also hungry yeah i don't know yeah sometimes i'll get really really mad and then I'll have something, and then I'll be, like, fine. Yeah. And I, like, really do not recognize hanger very well. Mm. And Sam very gently was like, do you do you want me to ask you if you want a snack when you are feeling that way? And I was like, no, I don't think that will help. <laughs> like, I think I will just get mad at you. Yeah. Okay, yeah, all of those actually, asides we aside, start to talk we about should... the book. <laughs> um, okay, do you want to start with what's good about the genre and, like, end on a high note, or do you want to start with what's bad and then add end on a low note with what's bad about the genre, or do you want to start with what's bad and then end on what we did really oh. like about them? Why don't we, do you want to, like, cushion it? Do you want to do a sandwich type thing? Positive, negative, positive? Oh, Yes. Okay. Yes. Let's let's do, let's do maybe like half of the positive points, and then we can go go into the negative points, and then return to the positive points. Okay. Yeah, because I think there's ways to tie in some of our positive to the end of the negative. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. something that I really liked about this genre, and that it like proved in all three books, although to the power a much smaller amount is that it is, like, still possible for humans to be kind and, like, experience tenderness between each other in, like, a really dangerous, bad society. Yes. People are still, even when they are being oppressed, like, trying their very best to sometimes try to make things better for others. Right, right. And I, that is one of the things that I think is so important about, like, when you, when you're doing a book, like, the female-specific dystopia books, like, keeping your focus not just on the dehumanizing system, but, like, the people that are living inside of the dehumanizing system and grounding your story in them and showing, showing how humanity can persist even amongst the most like horrendous of circumstances like grounding your story in that reality and showing the struggle between like people who want to be good and want to care for each other and want to do good things but are like struggling to do so within the system that they're in like that is really powerful and meaningful to read and it's also like something that happens every single day like in the real world I also think that that's an important point in terms of, like, collective action and, like, collective good, Um, just to see people... So there's this big argument against socialism and communism, and the answer is that, like, humans are inherently selfish. And, like, it is true that humans are inherently selfish, but I also think that, like, that argument is used against little people instead of used against people like Jeff Bezos. 
Like, the idea right. that humans are inherently selfish and communism or socialism won't work. I'm going to use the word socialism because that's a system that I truly believe has a, a, a high chance of success if we would simply stop being terrible. Um, where, like, collectively life improves for everyone if you make small sacrifices. And that's not to say that, like, I'm never going to take the last cookie in a container again. And that's not to say that, like, I am not going to be disappointed if someone gets something that I want. But right. it does mean that, like, we get to improve things for each other in, like, small but concrete ways. Mm-hmm. And, like, it is the same thing as focusing on the humanity in these books. Like, people want to be kind to each other. Right. They do. Mm-hmm. And they struggle with it, but, like, focusing on those imperfections of struggle instead of focusing on the attempts towards good is, I think, a bad choice. Yeah, yeah. And one thing, one thing I guess that maybe I could say, we could say that the power does well, is that it really highlights how, like, it's not that there's, like, millions and millions of selfish people in the world that are making the world bad. It's really just like we live in we live in a society. Um, we live in like a political, economic, and so, like social system that allows people in power to be greedy and to be and to abuse their power like without consequence. Like, yeah, it's not that humans across the board are greedy, which like sure they are whatever but like yeah tucker eating the last cookie in the cookie jar is so different from jeff bezos not letting his like employees pee on a 12-hour shift those are really different things well and it's all about scope right which is another thing that we like found out in these books is like the books that are good have a small scope and the books that are bad do too much right right And you don't get to focus on the humanity because you never get to know anyone well enough to focus on it. Right. And I think it's really hard to write. Like in in The Power, um, Naomi Alderman, I feel like, was really, really trying to write about like two or three different like Jeff Bezos style greedy humans. And it... I it didn't work super well it didn't ring true like it was kind of like no one no one acts like this like every single woman who attained a jeff bezos amount of power from the beginning was losing her humanity and forgetting to care about people right right like like, I don't think, I'm going to say one vaguely nice thing about Jeff Bezos, and then we're going to move on. Oh, that's so brave. Girl, speak when, on it. <laughs> I don't think that when he started Amazon, he had the explicit intention to become the man that he is. Oh, probably not. Probably not. Like, and it kind of felt like... With both Tatiana and Allie slash Eve, not so much with um, Jocelyn's mother, which might be a Freudian slip because that is the one thing she cared about the whole time was Jocelyn. Those two from the beginning 
you could read from the writing that they had the explicit intention to become what they were. Yeah, they did. They did. And I don't think that people who want political power, barring legitimate psychopaths, like, have the explicit intention from their first victory onward to become the world's biggest villain. Yeah. Barring... I think that's maybe what didn't ring true for the power. Barring well, sociop- things, sociop- sociopathy. There we go. I did it. Oh, yes. I used the wrong word. Psychopath well, is the wrong word. Psychopath, sociopathy, you know. Um, we're not psychologists, but barring those individuals. But I don't know. If you're going to write a book about a sociopathic character... Like, I feel like that takes a lot of, like, it takes a lot You have to be more. gentle with it. Yeah, you have to be, you have to be really, you have to really narrow your scope, which we've talked about a lot. Like, you have to really focus on the psychology of a character because, like, sociopathy is kind of like autism in that it is a spectrum. Like, lots of people in the world like experience different degrees of sociopathy and that doesn't mean that they're like going to be murderers (laughs) or like it just means they might struggle with certain parts of like human emotions right like their their brains just like work a little bit differently than other people's do and like that inherently is like a value neutral thing you know like brains work differently everybody's brain works a little bit differently it's how you act and how, what your actions do and the way you treat other people. That is what defines you, not the way that your brain works. Neurotypicality is a construct, essentially. Yeah, but um, yeah, focusing your story, I think, on like humanity and like how humanity can persist, even in the most like drastic of conditions, is really powerful and I think necessary because when you don't focus on when you don't highlight that in your book like all you just just all of the only thing that you get is just like you get you know like the power book where you just have like absolute brutality that I that comes kind of without any meaning yeah um something else that I wanted to talk about that's good about the genre and then I think we should jump to bad mm-hmm. is um, I think this genre specifically does a really good job of having powerful protagonists who are not on the hero's journey. Yes. Yes. So for those of you who don't know the hero's journey, let's see if I can do it in like two sentences or less was a story construct written by a guy who taught at a women's college in New York. I don't remember his name. And it's basically there in all stories of all time. Like, the hero goes through a specific journey. So you have, like, an inciting incident, and then, like, he has to go through, like, trauma and struggle, and he has to, like, suffer from self-doubt, and then to, like, win victory. Like, there's a specific arc, and you see it in a lot of movies, a lot of TV shows, and movies base their plots on the concept of the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that for you to have a powerful protagonist who is interesting, who is good, he has to go through that. And I think that these books did a really good job of showing that, like, 
traditional format heroes' journeys are not necessary for powerful characters to exist. Exactly. And that those the the hero's journey is kind of written based off of stories that are that were all written about men and men's lives. Like and not that women can't go through a hero's journey, but like historically they don't because like we're not allowed to. And you know, like in Little Women or in like Pride and Prejudice, like there's not a hero's journey. <laughs> Because the girls are just gabbing and going to dances. But that can be compelling, too. And you can have a really interesting and powerful and, like, important um, protagonist that doesn't have to go through, like, all of these, you know, traditional, traditional story tropes in order to be a good protagonist. Yes. Yes. I think The Handmaid's Tale is the best example of that because... I guess in the grace here, she does go, I, not a true hero's journey. She does experience, like, the doubt, and I think there's a hill she climbs up and crests over, but, Mm -hmm. like, she's still, there's no victory at the end, really. Um, But in The Handmaid's Tale specifically, like, you care about June because she is recognizable. Right. Like... Not so much in, like, the explicit sexual slavery that she's going through, but, like, she cares for those around her. She cares for a life that she used to have. She misses things about it. She doesn't miss things about it. She, like, experiences, like, genuine, recognizable human emotion, and you want to know more. Mm -hmm. And she does all of it without being heroic. I mean, we talked about it in the Handmaid's Tale episode, like, June is surviving. There is, what did you say? There's fight, flight, or... Uh, freeze. 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 And she... And she froze. Is frozen. She's frozen big time. And sometimes that's the best thing that you can do, That sometimes that's the way that you protect yourself. Okay. <sighs> We're gonna get into that. We're gonna talk things. about what's bad. We're gonna get into it. So my my first two bullet points that I wrote were... Is there a way to imagine female subjugation that is not inherently tied to sex? And the next bullet point just says rape with three exclamation points. I was going to say it has three exclamation points if you didn't say it. Um, so my answer or my, my idea for the first question is, um, I don't know. And... <laughs> My idea for the second one is <laughs> so because I also go ahead like historically female subjugation is like inextricably related to sex. So I guess that it does not have to be inherently bad about the genre that like female subjugation is often tied to sex i think that it makes sense if we are like going for an allegory about the world that we currently live in Mm -hmm. i wish that there were like i guess maybe that's what i liked about the grace years it was tied more subtly to sex yes like the idea that like the magic that these girls held was essentially like like they were a threat to men just because 
I don't know, is the idea that, like, men would do things for women because they would experience, like, sexual attraction to them. It also could be, and I just thought of this, oh my gosh, I'm so smart. (laughs) Part of the reason I think they also had to make the men in the county, the true believers, scared of the, like, sexual magic of women was because you, if you don't do that, you end up with people like Michael Welk, who broke the rules to protect Tierney Mm. because he, like, loved and cared for her and was not scared of her. Right. It, it, like... So I think... Yeah. Women had to fear men in that society, but men men also had to fear women. And that... That is... You are so smart. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) Thank you. That is one of the, the... That is one of the, the, like, so fucked up things about like gender roles in the patriarchy is that it really just like does a doozy on like like inner human relationships like we are so scared of each other and we have been made to have these twisted ass like dumb relationships with each other where we cannot connect we cannot communicate we cannot like everybody's using each other all the time and like for what for what like, we shouldn't have to be scared of each other. Like, we're all humans. Like, we're more similar than we are different. Like, but but this, you know, somewhere, someone a million years ago was like, vaginas and penises mean something. And we're going to make it weird for everybody else for the rest of humankind forever. We're going to make it weird. And <laughs> they really did. Ugh. They really did! Okay, so maybe my beef is not that female subjugation in these books is inherently tied to sex. Maybe my beef is that there are certain authors who think that it is inherently tied to rape, as opposed to female sexuality and, like, their ability to bear children. Because, like, that is a... I mean... I don't want to be trans-exclusionary, but, like, bearing children has for a very, very long time been an inherent part of the female experience. hmm And, like... The culturally, the culturally formed female experience, yeah. Yes. And, like, that is, I think, considered also female labor. Not just, mm-hmm. like, rearing children and doing household work, but, like... Bearing the children is labor. Right. Well, is in the name. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh my God. Tugger. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I'm being so smart this You're episode. so smart, girl. What the fuck? We can laugh about how much of that guy's dick you can see in the movie Ever After. And we can talk about how giving birth is labor. Did you? get you a girl who can do both it's emily <laughs> um i also think that like writing explicit and grotesque and graphic like sexual assault scenes are not necessary to write a female specific dystopia but i think that a lot of writers think that it is necessary and like sexual assault sexual abuse is something that is really really like a big oh excuse me I had a hiccup a big part of like the patriarchy it just is um and I think that a lot of 
authors, when they are like trying to explore that topic, they think like, oh, sexual abuse is a big part of the patriarchy. And so if I'm going to be writing about the patriarchy, like, and I'm going to be writing about women's lives, I have to also be writing about like sexual abuse. Um, and that is a really tricky, like, line to like or it's a tricky like area to be exploring because like when you are writing about women's lives as like inextricable from sexual assault and sexual violence like it it's a it's it becomes it's kind of one of those things where like um how do I say this like instead of saying like like you you are writing women's stories about things bad things that happen to women rather than things that women do like and things that like women living their lives does that make sense and that's what's special about the handmaid's tale is partially 75% of the book is about june living her life yes yes and like that is i think i think Jess and I had a conversation about this a really long time ago where we we were like I like it's hard sometimes like reading women's fiction or like women's fiction like feminist literature can be tough because like instead of instead of like focusing on like like women's like joy and women's happiness and things that like make life like worth living for women we're just like these are all of the terrible things that happen to women that make being a woman hard and that's really difficult and we have to explore that like I think it can be just as powerful and I think it's just as possible to explore like women's joy as it is to like explore women's suffering but we like as a culture like really 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 love to explore women's suffering but we do not explore women's joy and I think that is a problem with this genre. Like, we love talking about women getting murdered, like, mutilated. Like, we love that shit. We love it. It's so weird. It's really weird. Oh, there's a You're Wrong About episode about this. And it's the one where, um, her name's Sarah, right? Sarah had on a guest of, um, and it was about true crime and why we're all obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And... It's basically because we love to, like, hear about people doing a worse job than us. Mm-hmm. Like, we love to be like, well, I would never do that. And because I would never do that, I'm safe. It would never happen to I'm me. I'm safer. It yeah. would never happen to me. But Lydia, the guest that she had on with her was walking. Should I tell you this? You walk your dog in a park. Um. Yeah, I walk my dog in the park. She literally was just out walking her dog and got stabbed oh my god it was like dusk like it was just like a normal time it was a normal like, day like so 6 like 45 p.m <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like she Thursday. was not like she was not like out headphones in looking sexy like dressed in her club outfit which like women don't deserve to be raped if they're dressed in their club outfit etc etc don't read it that way but, like, she was just having a normal day. But that sense of superiority that we get listening to true crime because we would never go to a park with an abusive partner, mm-hmm. like, that's that's part of, I think, why we're so obsessed with, like, 
reading and watching and listening to things that, like, make us to, like, hear all the bad things that happen to women. Because we're like, well, at least, at least I would never do that. Me. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, shout out to the person I was, I was minding my business on my 10 mile run yesterday and I was covered in snot and about to shit my pants and, um, somebody cat called me and that is, you can be minding your own business and people will still be like, I would like to violently murder you and mutilate your body. (laughs) You should have shit on his car. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's terrible <laughs> um let's talk about, i also wanted to this we don't have to spend very much time on what is with the obsession with writing like speculative fiction as opposed to science fiction i think that shit is stupid me too because they're like this could happen like this could happen girl it is happening it's happening right now it's and not- like the power is science fiction. That is the power fiction. is science fiction. That's it not is not happen. speculative fiction. No, like we are not all going to become electric eels. No, no, we're not. Like women are not going to overthrow the patriarchy through force by all becoming suddenly more powerful than men. It's That's too- not going to happen. It's not going to happen. There was nothing speculative about it. It was science fiction. Yeah, yeah. It was perhaps speculative in the way that she wanted to explore that women are just as bad as men. Right. But, like, this obsession with labeling female-specific dystopia books only as speculative fiction is silly. Dystopias exist in every genre. God, every single fantasy novel that you read exists in a dystopia because it is dystopic to overthrow a, like monarchy or like a dictatorship and that is what like most fantasy novels are doing are overthrowing someone who is exerting bad power onto everyone else yeah avatar the last airbender you could label as a dystopia Mm -hmm. like there are dystopic elements to every single story so like to call just the ones where like women are oppressed and it is almost always inherently tied to, like, childbearing and sex and, like, being in, like, a deeply religious society and call it speculative instead of just whatever genre it actually is. That's bad. What else do we call speculative fiction besides female-specific dystopias? Nothing. (laughs) That's, I'm sorry, that's misogyny. I just think that's stupid. It's, like, I think it's, like, a, a, a silly distinction marge marge can call the handmaid's tale speculative fiction all the rest of you can fuck off but even even the handmaid's tale isn't speculative because everything that has happened in the handmaid's tale has happened before it's not it's not this could happen it's this is happening so like it's just like i think it's a useless distinction the only one that it would the it doesn't really work like if like if you're speculating about what could be happening in the future if if it's already happened you're not speculating you know <laughs> it's not speculation yeah. if you know i'm speculating that two plus two is four i don't know. guess we'll find out guess we'll find out <laughs> you bitches might be wrong <laughs> oh my god i mean we are not women in stem we are not women in stem 
Um, well, I'm a coming a woman in STEM, but not that kind of STEM. I will be a clinical social worker. Does that mean that I'm going to be a woman in STEM? If it gets you more jobs, yes. <laughs> was that you laughing? Yeah, that was... I've, I've taken to making fart noises when I laugh now. It's really um, endearing. Oh, new bit! New bit! <laughs> Okay. New bit dropped. Uh, we have, like, one more topic to discuss before we get to the big bad. The big bad. And I think we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but all of these books are depressing. I like depressing books. I cannot See, lie. and three in a month is a lot of depressing books for me. But, yeah. like, my main question is... Is there a way to write female-specific di- dystopia books where women win at the end without it seeming like a girl boss book? Because, like, The Testaments, after The Handmaid's Tale, oh is girl boss. So girl bossy. And, like, the power was, like, kind of girl boss. Yeah. But, like, girl boss gaslight gatekeep, like, bad girl boss. Bad girl boss. Very bad, very bad, very bad. Not good. Um. So, like... I don't I don't know. I don't know. And like maybe that's why those moments of tenderness in all of these books are so important cuz I think that's the only way you you can win. Yeah. And like maybe the ending of the grace here it finds a potential balance between women losing and women winning because even though they did not overthrow the patriarchal society that they were living in, like Tierney's life ends with her having so much of a better understanding of how women look out for each other and how to invoke change and has, like, imparted that ability to invoke change onto future generations, like, by, one, how they don't, like, burn down the whole camp before they leave to make things harder on the next year's girls. Yeah. And also, so, like, all of the girls... Barring bitchy Kirsten, potentially, like, have, I think, a tenderness for each other that perhaps the other Gracier girls did not manage to finish their year with. Yeah. And, like, that, like, that level of tenderness towards one another has the potential to, like, make make the society safer as a whole if they can continu- continue passing that on, even if they don't overthrow the, bound- the bonds of that society. Yeah, that is a huge win. Um, I think the only win that's really possible is, like, small wins. That's the only not Girlboss Gatekeep win that we can get in a book like this. And, like, Girlboss Gatekeep endings to, like, female-specific dystopias don't ring true. They don't. Because that has never happened in, like, the world. You know? Yeah. Like, there was no Girlboss Gatekeep ending to like slavery because like racism is still very real i wish we could have girl boss gatekeeped that but yeah we are not girl bossing gatekeeping i would love to gatekeep racism in the past (laughs) i i have a terrible tie-in which is Mm. speaking of racism where are all the black people where are the black people in these books where are they okay I'm going to let Lydia take the reins on this one because she did some reading of academic literature to fill us in a little bit. I did a little 
need the reading. I need. Okay. So, um, in all of these books, The Power is the only book that explicitly mentions the presence of a person of color. Um, um, that person of color is Eve slash Allie. Um, but we don't really go that far into how, like, like being a person of color affects like the new matriarchal world that they are um building like it's not explored very in detail like the only really thing that we get out of eve being a mixed race like character is that like people call her mixed race like several times that's about it um same thing with the gracier um the gracier does not talk about any like black characters um all of the girls are described as like being like pale and like having like like blood like flushed faces especially when they're like high on drugs or whatever um the auth kim like it does mention like some type of like linguistic diversity like it's implied that like people immigrated from a bunch of different places into the county so maybe there's like some kind of presence of like ethnic diversity in the great in the county but like within the characters that we explicitly focus on and explore they're all white um same thing with margaret atwood and the handmaid's tale everybody's white like we don't really get nobody mentions nobody mentions black people nobody there's no mention of like whether or not handmaids are black or if the like econo women the women who are kind of like like lower class who are not handmaids or whatever there's never there's never any mention of like black people or what race and racism looks like in Gilead at all. Um so which and this leads us to the question of which is the question of this segment, where are they? <laughs> where are the black people? Where did they go? <laughs> Here's the problem with that is that specifically the Gracier and the Handmaid's Tale, not so much the power um but those the Grace Year and the Handmaid's Tale are both very clearly about Protestant evangelical whiteness, right? Like those the theocracies that are built in those books are very, very much based off of like evangelical extremism. And correct. Evangelicals have so much say, so much to say about black people. They have so much to say about black people. And so it doesn't really make sense. That in these scenarios, all of these black people have just like magically disappeared. Um, unless, unless black people have been like eliminated or genocided, um, in this scenario. But like, if that is true, that's something that needs to be explained. <laughs> like, you can't just like kill off all of the black people in the society and not explain what happened to them um another issue is that um margaret atwood borrows a lot of um like types of oppression from the history of slavery and the sexual subjugation of black women um like literally the like the escape route for women in gilead is called the like the female the underground female road or something like that. Like it's very heavy handed that it's related to the underground railroad. Um, there's lots of kind of like connections with, um, 
forced sterilizations, which happened to like black people under slavery. Um, but there's never like Margaret Atwood in the book and also in the TV show, they never like ground any of these historical references to like the fact that they like happened, you know, and the, um, the, the, the garb that the handmaids wear their, their big hats and everything that is obviously like a huge um, reference to like women living in the Middle East. Um, But again, like those, those, these references are never like grounded in the fact that like all of these things have like happened before and or are currently happening. It's a tricky situation because in these books you need to keep, like we've talked a lot about a lot about scope and how like what makes these books powerful is that they focus on like very, very individual human experiences. But I feel like it could have been there they they could have done a lot of things in these books to ground the them in more like with more cultural context, like and more intersectionality, including race. Like, for example, one of the things that I've always thought that could make The Handmaid's Tale be a better book, a more complete novel and a more complete exploration of like evangelicalism and whiteness and the patriarchy in America is if there were like, if, is if you just like put a little bit of eugenics in there, just like a little bit, um, you know, because clearly you've got all of these commanders who are like hand picking handmaids to have children with wouldn't it make sense that they would want to have children with white handmaids, not black handmaids? Well, and the other the other thing to think about there is the fact that most of them are probably sterile due to the nuclear event. Mm-hmm. And so potentially part of the reason, well, I don't know if I don't know if Margaret thought that hard about it, but like the thing that I would think of immediately to counteract that would be like if they committed to eugenics, like, they would test the men, too, and find out the men were sterile. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I disagree with you, honestly. Tell me why! Because, like, clearly in The Handmaid's Tale, like, we have reverted to, like, a version of society where, like, women are only responsible for whether or not they can get pregnant. Yeah. There's no, like, if, like, if a handmaid is getting, is not getting pregnant, like, it's because the handmaid is sterile, you know, like, and they get, Real they're Henry get the Eighth vibes. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, yeah. And so, you would think that, like, not, maybe not all of the commanders, but you would think maybe, like, the most, like, powerful, the most wealthy commanders would be, like, hand-picking handmaids with, like, physical traits that they want to, like, replicate. And I think that would have been a really easy thing to write into the book, like, just, like, something that, like, June observed. Because, like, it makes sense. In some of these books, it makes sense for these societies to have, like, undergone, like, like, a version of genocide or some type of genocide or like for there to be so much like racial oppression that like black people like aren't really around you know like it would make sense if like they had sent all of the black people to the colonies to work in the like 
radioactive mess. Yeah. But, like, that is never explained. Like, that's never, that we're just, like, it's never, it's never brought up. It's never, like, it's just, it's, it's very, it's very strange that this is just, like, a huge thing that has been omitted um, from these books. So, something that I think would be interesting to look at would be um, statements that Margaret Atwood has made on intersectionality. Mm -hmm. Because... Like, my mom says that she doesn't like Margaret Atwood because of how dark Atwood's view is of the world. Like, Atwood sees the world as very, very, very bad. And I see some of the things that Margaret Atwood sees in the world, and I agree with them. But maybe with the same way we talked about, like, the way that feminists in the 70s and 80s, like, looked at the world in comparison to how feminists see the world now. Mm -hmm. Like, Atwood was just thinking of herself. Right. And the way that she saw women were women that were her. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's the only thing that I can think of that would, like, totally remove race from this story. I also think, and we'll talk about this in this section where we go back to talking about good things, is, like, stories that discuss the patriarchy as an explicitly bad system are good. And if allegory is necessary to make that more palatable to people who don't want to see the world we live in now as bad, then, like, maybe that is an okay thing. But I think that that might be, it might be true that it was okay to write that way in the 70s and 80s, but it is not okay to write that way now. Yeah, and, like, it's it's a tricky scenario because, like, the, the Handmaid's Tale is an allegory that borrows heavily from the history of, opp- of oppression of not just white women, but also black women. Like, it's clearly, it's a racial story because a lot of the things that she's exploring are things that have happened to black women, but... In the version of the story that she tells, those things are only happening to white women, as far as we can tell. Well, and that's what makes it so palatable to pussy hat feminists is right. like, oh my god, this could happen to me. This could happen. What if what if white women were oppressed as much as black women were oppressed? Oh my god. Dystopia. What if? <laughs> what if? So, perhaps the issue with these books is the idea that it is only dystopic when it is happening to white women. Right, right. Whereas, it is just the reality of the world we live in when it is happening to non-white people. And that is the major flaw. And that, to me, also is, like, moderately foolish as well. Because, like, a lot of these things have happened to women of color, it's true. But, like, a lot of these things have also... Like I feel like I feel like white women have a lot of amnesia. Like like Oh yeah. Like because a lot of these things happen to black women, of course, but a lot of these things have also happened to white women. Like there's been like sexual slavery of white women in the world. There's been like And so I'm like I don't know. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm trying to say that white women are as as oppressed as black women because that's obviously not true. But like like like, all of these things have happened before to lots of different types of people. But it's like Margaret Atwood forgot that, like, 
white women and black women are oppressed and that like if you're going to write a story about the oppression of women you should like include both like not like not not just white women i don't know i don't know i think potentially it's because of how like wasps believe that like not everything that has ever been done in the name of christianity is good but like the traditional household like i don't think that christians want to believe that within a traditional marriage even in the like 1800s or early 1900s that sexual slavery existed like within the marriage bed like a very neoliberal view of like like the history of gender roles you know it was like oh like gender roles used to be like really really bad but now everything is fine it's like mm, no y'all got some amnesia yeah i don't know okay do we want to go back to talking about good things yeah let's go back to talking about good things um so all that being said that is that is a huge flaw in this genre um but i think that is a flaw that could be and will be and should be like mediated um and I think that this genre will become even more rich and even more complete when we stop pretending that black women don't exist. <laughs> there's just there's just so much to explore that like Margaret Atwood and Kimberly get left out because like, I don't know, brain too small, I guess. I don't know. Um, but another thing that we liked in this genre is um using traditionally female action as a means of rebellion um like gossip we've talked a lot about gossiping in this month um tuck wanted to talk about um tapestries tuck tell me about tapestries so once again i will admit i have not finished the heroine with a thousand and one faces i'm very busy i'm sorry um but like Rebellion through traditional women's work has always existed, whether it is, like, a woman who, like, poisoned her husband through the dinner she made him, Mm, whether or not it was, like, um, so there is a myth, to go back to myth month, I don't remember the name of the woman anymore, my brain is very small, um, where she is, just... Me and Marge. Small um, brains. <laughs> she is raped by her brother-in-law, and then to stop her from speaking on it, he cuts out her tongue. Oof. And because she can't tell anyone what happened to her, her sister's like, well, move in with me, I'll protect you. And she weaves a tapestry and is going to, like, have it put up on the walls. And on this tapestry, she weaves the image of her rape onto it. And, like, hangs it in the halls for everyone to see so that he is eventually punished. So, Mm -hmm. like, it is possible to be rebellious and brave even when your ability to speak, which we talked about in The Handmaid's Tale, is taken away. Like, women, women have always gotten by and women will always get by. Like, I think that is another good thing that's shown in this genre is no matter the level of oppression, like women will care for and take care of and speak out against, even if in small ways, against systems that are dangerous and bad. 
They do. We we really be finding um so many different ways to rebel. Um and that's something that I like. Um Mar- Marge does that too in Alias Grace where Al- the the main character um rebels by like doing um making blankets. Like she still tells story through um oh what's it called? She's like sewing pieces of cloth together. Quilting? Quilting <laughs> Oh my god. (laughs) Brain small. She's quilting. Let's see. So she quilts. That's traditional women's work. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about that is a good thing. Um, I think that people with book talk and bookstagram really take pride in like gutting through like a million books or having like a huge to read pile. And I am glad that I don't see that many female-specific dystopias in people's, like, massive, like, this is what I read this month. Yeah. Like, I'm glad that it seems like when people read these books, they take a little time to sit with them. Yeah. And it would be a really mentally ill thing to do to chug through these books. Like, y'all would be really messed up for that. (laughs) I also think that, like, not just chugging through them, but also just, like, treating it as if it was just, like, a, like, uh, Emma Engel sent me a tweet the other week that was basically, like, people on Book Talk don't really want to read. They just want to be seen as readers. Mm. And, like, I'm glad that these books are not books that they are, like reading and not absorbing anything from. Right, right. I also think that this is proof to me that, like, we do absorb the things that we read, whether or not it's, like, it is, like, a silly little rom-com book or if it is, like, truly, like, something like The Handmaid's Tale that you have to sit and marinate with and think about how it affects you from, like, here on out. Mm-hmm. And so, like... I'm glad that I don't see these as books that people are just being a reader as opposed to, like, reading this book. Yeah. If that is a distinction that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You really gotta read it. (laughs) Which sounds silly, but, like, I am a little bit of a reader, and I, Mm -hmm. like, am glad that I had this, like, slower month to, like, truly, truly read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is always, sometimes it's nice. And sometimes, sometimes, like, no hate against the books where you just chug through them and they, like, make your brain happy. Because those are good books and we need those books. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's also good sometimes to slow down and, like, read extremely violent and graphic books about the way that women are oppressed. And to reflect on that. Two things can be true at once! (laughs) We need a little bit of everything. You need your sweet. You need your spicy. Okay. Did you have a favorite book this month? I think I liked The Gracier the best because I'd read The Handmaid's Tale before. The power was bad. And I really liked The Gracier. (laughs) (laughs) I also think I really liked The Gracier. I think if we're going to say which was the best book, I think The Handmaid's Tale was the best book. Mm -hmm. But in terms of something that's like, creative and new and something you haven't read before the gracier is a great option i think yeah 
Yeah, I think the Gracier does a really good job of imagining, like, it's a really, like, new type of, like, female dystopia. Like, I would have never thought about putting a bunch of teenage girls in the woods. But it works. Yeah, it it is new. It is fresh. It is, like, something that, like, you are surprised by as you're reading it. Yeah, yeah. Like, you have a little bit of no way while mm-hmm. you're reading it. Mm-hmm. Which I think is hard to do in a genre that has been... It is it is a genre that is also kind of small in scope. Which right. also makes it so much crazier that the power was so bad. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to move into recommendations. I don't have very many. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one of these that I have read personally is Women Talking. And it is not truly a female-specific dystopia in the speculative fiction way. But I think that that makes it potentially both, like, good and kind of scary. It is a quick read. It's by Miriam. I believe it's Taos. And it is 12 women sitting in a barn debating whether or not to stay or go from the deeply religious Mennonite community that they have grown up and lived in their whole lives. Because men in the community have been systematically drugging them and raping them for decades. Yeah. And they found the men, and the men were taken to prison, and the reason that the women are alone in the community and able to meet together that day is because all the men in the community have gone to get these men out of prison. That, okay, so I was going to say that that, I think, is this, this example, like, if you did not ground, like, the story in, like, Mennonite communities that literally exist, you would be like, that's a female-specific dystopia. Yep. And the this one is genuinely speculative fiction because this did happen in South America. Yeah. Well, it's not, even, it's not speculative because it did happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's a great example of, like, why we disagree with that label so strongly. And I think it is worth a read. I think it is especially worth a read. Um, I sometimes find myself disparaging Christianity because I find it a frustrating uh, faith structure. Um, But I think that sometimes I find people's belief in God really comforting, even if I don't believe in God. Mm -hmm. And, like, this is a book that brought me comfort because I appreciate very deeply when people have deep faith in things yeah and like base their decisions around like deep belief in something like that is applicable to the human experience even if you like don't believe in a religious deity as what you put your faith in yeah um the other one that i wrote down is school for good mothers that was one of the books that we tossed out as one we might read and we chose to read the power instead Big, um, partially big win, but big, big lose mistake. For us. Big, big L. L. The school for good mothers is like based around motherhood, but instead of it being based around like sex, the way that The Handmaid's Tale is, it's truly based around like how can we control women by controlling their ability to see their children, which is mm. like a small theme in The Handmaid's Tale and the entire theme in The School for Good Mothers. Yeah. So like, I don't really know anything more about it. I know it's critically acclaimed. I know that's dangerous um, in terms of whether or not it's actually a good book. But that is my 
my other my other wreck. And then I wrote a silly wreck. <laughs> if you want to read the Hunger Games again, I think that that would count. The Hunger Games is that, I don't the think Hunger that, Games is solid because I also think that like while it is not like inherently tied to like deeply white Christian like ideas. Katniss is controlled partially by a marriage plot. That's true. Like, her ability to be in a relationship and be married and have children is part of the reason that they keep her alive. Yeah. And that is, like, I think inherent to the female experience. Yeah. There's definitely gender stuff in in The Hunger Games. It is a really deep YA book. Yeah. It is. It's solid. Okay. Um, what you got, Lydia? I included a lot of books. Not all of them I have read, or most of them I have not read. Um, but when <laughs> I was do- when I was doing my um, my research on um, race and female dystopias, I found a lot of um, wrecks, um, and so I decided to include them. And I honestly will probably be reading them in the near future. Um, so the first one is I Who Have Never Known Men by Jacqueline Hartman. Um, this one isn't specifically related to race, but I heard it uh, talked about a lot on the Binge-topia pod. Um, it's about, like, a group of women who are living in, like, post-apocalyptic times, and they're in a bunker. And they – and one of the women, like, was, like, a baby when, when they, like, entered the bunker. So she's, like, literally never lived in the outside world. She doesn't know the outside world. The only world that she knows is that of the bunker. And she has never met a man before. Like, she's literally she's, – she only knows the women who live in her bunker. So it's not particularly dystopian, but I just, like, think it's a really interesting – take on um like the future and like a a post-apocalyptic future um the other one that i read about um is called women on the edge of time by marge piercy this was written actually uh, around the same time that the handmaid's tale was written and it focuses specifically on um hispanic communities um let me see i'm trying to find it is um based off of plato's republic um nice and it is kind of like it's very similar to the handmaid's tale i think but it is um more grounded in um like mental in- mental institutions abuse and um like how um like race would be incorporated in a um gender dystopia so that um i thought sounded really good i'm probably gonna be checking that out from the library soon um the other one is octavia butler's the parable trilogy i have also not read this one um but i have read other octavia butler books and she's just like an incredible author and when i was thinking about like recommendations i thought like octavia butler is a really really great example of like a science fiction author um that's not just like like a white man talking about white people in space. <laughs> Not to shit so on Dune. But Oh my god. Um and also just like the genre of afrofuturism um which I listened I listened to a podcast about afrofuturism um a couple of years ago and afrofuturism is basically 
like science fiction that is centered around like black people and like science fiction that's kind of like more um grounded in like black culture and black civilization and like taking those cultures and those like social dynamics and putting them with science fiction um dynamics so i guess i guess you could say like black panther and wakanda is like a good example of afrofuturism um a lot of people say that um parliament the band parliament is afrofuturist i don't really know how okay i guess like they make kind of funky space like they make a lot of music about space and like aliens and stuff like that and like obviously it's like a soul like funk group which is like a big part of like black music and black culture um so if you're looking for any type of like science fiction that is like not about white people afrofuturism would be a really good thing to um explore and it's fun because i i liked um all of the afrofuturist like media that i've interacted with is very like enjoyable because it's not based off of like black suffering like it's it's a lot about like yeah black people like thriving in the future um which is not something that we get a lot um like there's so many books and movies about black suffering and it's cool to imagine like black people in space doing space stuff with like probes you know (laughs) probes and that's i have one more recommendation oh yes it is um not dystopic but it is women-centric in a patriarchal society Mm. and not not in the way that everything is a patriarchal society if we go down that rabbit hole like everything is a female-specific dystopia book and we're not gonna do that (laughs) it's called the bandit queens um Mm. and it is about an indian woman who lives in her village A young Indian woman finds the false rumors that she killed her husband surprisingly useful until other women in the village start asking for her help getting rid of their own husbands. Oh, love. Yeah. So he just, like, walked out on her and she doesn't know where he is, but it's a rumor that she killed him. And instead of people thinking she's, like, dangerous and thinking they need to get rid of her... They just, like, let her live in the mar- in the village and are, like, we have to watch out for her. She's dangerous. Like, we have to buy her wares. We have to make sure that, like, nothing bad happens to her because she could do something bad to us. Mm, and so, like, and then the other women in the village are, like, wait, we don't want to have husbands. Um, it's on my, um, holds list at the library. It's like, one of the buzzier new book picks that's out right now. Interesting. I'm excited to read it. Ooh. We should do a bonus episode. We should read one of these, um, read one of these, like, recommendations and follow up. Yeah, we should. That would be fun. Maybe that's what our fifth weeks are. Our, rom- our um, we read the recommendations that we are making. Yeah. But, yeah, that's on my hold list. I'm excited to read it. Um... All that to say, if these books depress you, you don't have to read more of them. But I think that it is important to read things like The Handmaid's Tale, and I found women talking to be very interesting and important. But, like, 
I'm not saying that you have to read only literature like this. Oh, no, absolutely not. Next month, I'm reading three hateful coworker romances. Like, that's going to be fun. It's going to be funny. We're not going to talk about the patriarchy for multiple hours next month. It's going to be so slay for you. It's going to be really fun. But, like, this was fun, too. This was so I fun. like talking about the patriarchy. And I like talking about the patriarchy in a way that isn't girl boss feminism. Because mm-hmm. it is important to acknowledge the ways, like, in which we're implicit in patriarchy and the ways in which like it is important to be intersectional in conversations about that like this this month felt like my brain was growing yeah and that's good brain got big brain got brain big. got big mm-hmm. oh okay i'll do my little spiel because we're almost an hour and a half in oh no um <laughs> um This is All My Friends Are English Majors. You can listen to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at EnglishMajorsPod. You can send us an email at EnglishMajorsPod at gmail.com. Please read or write a review. Um, If you read any of the books that we recommend and you want to talk about it, you can email us, and then I'll include whoever my guest was on the email thread, and we can have a little online book club. Um, yeah, I think that's all I have. Next month, we're doing Hateful Coworker Month. We will not have an episode out next week because things are coming out on Wednesdays in four-week chunks. We'll start April with Hateful Coworker Month with my boyfriend Sam. We're reading The Hating Game first. So if you want to read along, that is our next book. It's by Sally Thorne. Very Um, exciting. That's what I've got. Thank you for coming on, Lydia. Thank you for being my guest this month. I had a very good time getting to talk to you this much. I had so much fun. I had so much fun. I hope to do it again. Well, if you want to be on a month that is much less depressing, just text me whatever you think. I want to be a guest. I want to be a guest star. Guest star <laughs> on Sally <laughs> Sally Rooney Sally Rooney month because I've got fucking shit to say. Oh my gosh, Jess is doing Sally Rooney month, and you're like the fourth person who's been like, "Well, I want to do Sally Rooney month though." I don't want to do it because I don't want to read all those books, but I do want to put like a two minute snippet of me complaining about it. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's it. so fair. I'll, that's all. <laughs> I'll talk. You can, you can just send me a little rant and I'll put it in somewhere. Slay. Bonus app. Okay. Bye, okay. everybody. Bye. Love you guys. Bye.